You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. Today, the Marlins made some news, and as I record this, just at the last few hours, 11 o'clock on Monday, October 19th, the Marlins earlier this morning had made the announcement that they would not be bringing back Mike Hill, whose contract was up, the Marlins president and general manager. He ultimately will be moving on. I'm sure he will find a job elsewhere, and I wish him the best. He is a very, very nice guy, a pro's pro. Every time I've talked to him, has been very personable and always takes the time to be respectful and just doesn't big league you. So I very much appreciated all of my interactions with Mike Hill. I wish him nothing but the best, and I hope that he lands somewhere solid and into a good spot for him and his family. Mike Hill, though, with the Marlins, you know, it's been an interesting kind of saga. He was in a tough spot from the get-go. When he was under Loria, especially kind of a figurehead, he didn't have that much of an opportunity to do what he wanted because of how much Loria dipped his hand into the bucket. And also with Larry Beinfest being in control for a good portion of the time there. And with salary restrictions and all those things, I'd say being the GM of the Marlins is one of the worst teams at that time to be a GM of because you have the salary restrictions already. And then you have a guy that's going to, an owner that's going to get in your way all the time. And if you saw Moneyball, you remember early in the movie where Billy Bean's sitting down with with the athletics owner and he's saying, like, you, you got to work with me a little bit more. You got to give me a couple million more in this budget so I can get some guys. I, I can't get anybody with the budget you're giving me. And he said, nope, sorry, Billy. And that's how Billy had to start this Moneyball idea. Well, with the Marlins, it was like you could have that Moneyball idea but then you can't even make your own decisions. So you're being restricted financially. And then also you have an owner that's going to make unilateral moves and sometimes spend money. Like giving John Buck the third year and apparently nobody even knew that that was going to happen. Just overstepped everybody and made the deal go. And a couple other deals that he did, I can't remember off the top of my head. So you're being told you can't spend money and then he spends $18 million on three years for John Buck. I could not imagine dealing with that job. So for Mike Hill, it was definitely frustrating. And I think he was probably, for the most part, a yes man in that in that role. Because when Loria was leaving, and this is an important aspect to everything, because I think people kind of wondered why the Marlins retained Mike Hill. But the Marlins were kind of in a weird spot there. The new ownership was Jeter and Sherman. Because Jeffrey Loria did something kind of interesting on his way out. He clearly had something for Mike Hill. He appreciated him. And that's why I feel like Mike Hill just kind of nodded his head and did what Loria asked. Otherwise, Loria gets rid of you. Hence, Joe Girardi's firing after winning manager of the year because Joe Girardi spoke up and said, you know, get away from the dugout. I'm going to do what I do. And that did not go over well. And they quite often clashed. And I can tell you Girardi's a great guy. I think you know that already. So we know who the problem was in that relationship. With Hill, Hill's also a great guy. And I think Hill was just a little bit less of a a guy that's going to push back because it's a little different when you're not in the manager spot. But, you know, I'm sure Hill made plenty of decisions and did a lot of things. But I think when Jeter and Sherman took over, they wanted to clean house completely. We know that. I mean, they totally did. 
even firing guys that really didn't even need to be fired, like Jeff Conine and Andre Dawson and Jack McKeon. And they cited financial reasons, which I'll get into as well. But with this Mike Hill situation, right as Lurie is heading out, and the sale had not been put through with Jeter and Sherman. They didn't know who, who they were selling the team to yet. So with the fact that they knew that most of the players, the expensive players, were going to be traded away. So financially, there was going to be a lot of burden lifted right after or right before you bought the team, whether you were going to be the ones that traded them yourself as the guy that purchases the team, as the group that purchases the team, or if the Marlins were going to trade them right before. But the Marlins ultimately decided, or Gloria decided, to give Mike Hill a five-year extension right as he's about to sell the team. And that was the really funny thing of just kind of looking out for his guy. You know what? And I respect it. If you really, if that's your, your friend and you want to look out for him, like that's a great way to do it because you know that the new ownership is going to want to bring in their own guy. So he kind of locked them in with Mike Hill there. And there's a worse guy to be locked in with, right? Like Mike Hill is a, a nice guy. I think that he knows his stuff. He's a Harvard grad. It really wasn't a horrible situation for the Marlins, but I think what it was is you know, he gets inked to a five-year, $10 million deal, and, and that's on the higher end of GM contracts. And I think it was because he was so tenured with the Marlins that he kind of got that tenured deal, and Lorio was willing to give a couple extra bucks because he knew he wasn't going to pay it, just like the Stanton deal and other things that we saw like that where Lorio knew it wasn't going to be his problem, so he might as well just front it now and let somebody else deal with it. He's still going to get his money for the team, which he did. He cashed out on. And now Mike Hill has this five-year, $10 million contract, and the team that buys that, or the, the ownership group that buys that team inherits that contract. And they're not going to just fire him and be on the hook for whatever, all of it or whatever it was, whatever the details were in that contract. So while they might have wanted their own guys and their own front office people and their own decision makers, that's why Gary Dembo comes in and ends up being the real, I would say, president when it comes to making baseball personnel decisions and with development. And while he is the you know head of development, that's his role, he I fully believe was the guy that was you know in charge of making a lot of the trades and in charge of sending guys down or moving guys up and all of that stuff. I really think that at the end of the day, Dembo was the one making the decisions. And Jeter mentioned that it was kind of a collaborative environment. And if you don't, you know that Jeter was going to be very much a part of every decision that's being made as well. So it was a collaborative environment, which I think in itself is kind of telling, right? The Marlins weren't going to get rid of Mike Hill if they had to pay him. So they kind of had to make the most of what the situation was. So if they didn't want Mike Hill to be the all-time shot caller that's in charge of everything like the traditional GM or president is, then why not make it a collaborative environment? If you're not going to fire him and just be on the hook for the money, you could still get use out of Mike Hill. Like he's not useless. It's just not the guy that they wanted for $10 million, I'm sure. Especially if you're firing Jack McKeon and Jeff Conine, citing financial reasons, whether that's true or not. They were not making that much money for that role. If that was the case, then I think that's why you probably just make the most of that Mike Hill role. And it seems like Hill was kind of just the first guy in the way of everything, in the way that if there was a tough decision that had to be made, a trade or whatever, Mike Hill is super well-spoken and he was the guy that was going to go out there and just take it all from the media, whether it was punches or praise or questions or whatever. That Mike Hill was the guy that was going to take that. And I think we've learned that Gary Dembo is not quite the media guy. He holds his own, but we remember that, that slam piece that Ken Rosenthal wrote on him about just how he hates dogs and that he's 
bad for a work environment, whatever it is. And how much of that is true, I don't know. They didn't really reach out to him for comment, which was interesting, as I had went to the stadium about a couple days after that. And so some reporters asked him questions about that. And he said, look, all I'm going to say is they wrote that story. They cited employees that no longer work for us anonymously and then never reached out to any of our current employees or reached out to me or any of my colleagues for comment. So that that's all you need to know. It's a one-sided story. That's basically what Dembo said. And I think he has an argument there. Regardless, though, I, that whole story could not have been pulled out of nowhere. Ken Rosenthal, while no reporter is, is perfect, I don't think that he just is going to pull out some fabricated story and write something like that unless there's something to it. So that being said, Denbo is fantastic at his job, and we've seen that with what he's been able to do with the Marlins' development and with the prospects that they've been able to acquire and building that farm system. I will say that Denbo leans a little bit too much on pure athleticism and likes the variance prospects and the volatility. He's willing to take on a lot of volatility. And I don't love that. I like it from time to time. I think you got to balance it out. Denbo seemingly does not balance it out as much as you would think. They like to go for the highly volatile guys and we'll see how that pans out. So far with some of the prospects, it's been pretty frustrating. So we'll see how that works out. Overall though, Denbo has been really good at finding some of those Diamonds in the rough, the Garrett Coopers, the Caleb Smiths that he knew about already and bringing them in. And he's done that quite a few times. And even the some of the other trades that they've made to go get some diamonds in the rough, I've really liked it. Dilo Burgos. I'm going to keep mentioning that guy because I'm very high on Burgos. From what I've heard at instructionals, also Victor Mesa Jr. has looked really good. And I've heard that a lot of people around there and that, I, that have seen him play are very high on him and think that. I think it's a no-brainer now that he's going to be better than his brother, but some think that he could be a very legitimate prospect very soon and that he's poised to have a very good season. And maybe A-ball is where I'd, I'd expect him to start next year, probably Clinton. Maybe he starts in Batavia. I think he'll quickly move up to Clinton and then maybe even to high A by the end of next year from what I've heard about his ability to just flat-out hit. So I'm excited to see what will happen with him as well. So we've seen some of these guys that they've been able to find and develop well and just continue to get more out of them. And especially those lesser heralded prospects that they've been able to get more out of. But what about these blue chippers that you gave up so much for and that are super volatile and that haven't been as good? You know, that's been where things have been a little bit different. And I think they really, really missed on that first draft with Connor Scott, Will Banfield, Tristan Pompey, Osiris Johnson, that, trades, that draft's looking really bad right now. And, and I think it's getting to the point now where you can start saying, oh crap, that draft looks really bad. So there's been some interesting decision-making. And we know the Yelich trade, no matter how it all pans out with Monte Harrison and Isan, it still looks pretty, pretty wonky. And that's another deal. And who made those deals then? Was it Mike Hill? Who was the one that was really the integral part in that decision-making? Was it Denbo? Was it collaborative, quote-unquote? I don't know. I would assume that it was collaborative because it was always collaborative for Hill. He was never able to really make the decisions by himself. And I think the only reason why he wasn't wiped out and fired, just like everybody else that was part of the previous ownership, was because, one, he didn't have that same mentality as David Sampson. And he didn't have that... I think that the new ownership saw that he was different than... Loria and Samson in that toxic environment that 
people like to call the circus, as, as Jeff Baker would play the clown music and put the clown noses on. It wasn't the circus with Dan Jennings and all of that crazy stuff. I think Hill was different than them, and they identified that pretty quickly as a Harvard guy that's well-spoken, knows his stuff, and I think is more of a free thinker than he was allowed to be. And I think that he got a chance to do that a little bit more. But at the end of the day, he seemed a little bit like a puppet in some ways. And I know that he had some say in things, but overall... I don't know how much because there's no way the Marlins let Mike Hill go if he played an absolutely integral part in the growth of this franchise and in this special season that the Marlins had. I will say, though, money is more important than ever right now. Yes, the TV deal is imminent. Yes, they can have naming rights and some other things. But if you're paying your GM or president $2 million a year, and I'm wondering if Hill wanted a raise after this season, which is probably the case, and the Marlins probably wanted to pay him less than $2 million. And there's no way he was going to take a pay cut after what the Marlins just did this year. And after he just was paid $2 million for five years, there's no way he's going to take a pay cut. But the Marlins, it doesn't make sense for them to pay Mike Hill. Even if he played a big part in all of the decision-making and the player personnel stuff, if it is the collaborative environment that Jeter says it is, why are you going to pay $2 million for that president when you have a Gary Dembo, when you have Jeter, when you have a scouting department that you're very high on and a development system that is different and refined and much improved. Why pay $10 million over five years for Mike Hill? It just seemed like a waste of money for them. And I understand that move for sure. And especially when you look at the Marlins salaries, you know, $2 million is, is up there. That's probably like top five most expensive players on the team. I'm not looking at it right now, but it's up there for sure. So that's another reason why there's no point and paying Mike Hill that money. So I understand why the Marlins let him go. And I mentioned on Twitter, I don't expect much to change. And by that, I mean, what really could change? I think the mentality is still the same. The Marlins' decision-making is still going to be the same. They're still progressing the same way that they thought. I don't think Mike Hill was this super unique, dynamic perspective that the Marlins needed. I think he was just a part of the puzzle for a larger group of them that all chipped into the decision-making. So where do they look from here? That's where it's going to be interesting. I think there's obviously going to be a cheaper option. He's not going to be getting $2 million, whoever it is. And if this is, again, the collaborative environment type of thing, then maybe it'll be somebody that's not as experienced in a GM role, that they might be kind of promoting in a way, but they have a lot of experience in other areas, whether it's scouting or development or whatever it may be. That would make more sense to me than going to get you know a more well-known GM that's going to cost money because it kind of makes the move pointless to let Hill go and then go get another GM, even though there's probably some upgrades in terms of what they've been able to do in the past and some of the history of certain GMs. Still, it, I would expect to go for a lesser kind of guy in terms of what they're known for and their name and their history because it seems like that role is not exactly what it is for many other teams. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. As I always tell you, the six new flavors, I guess at this point they're not even new because they've been around for a while now. If you tried them, they're just as good as the 12 other flavors, 18 delicious flavors. And I think I've gone through all the flavor profiles now. I'm going to go through one more actually because I don't like almonds, so I've never eaten this one. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I like this flavor, but the profile looks good. 18 grams of protein for coconut almond, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. It's pretty tough to beat. Only 180 calories, but you're going to get 18 grams of protein and then only 5 grams of sugar when it's covered in chocolate and it's easy to chew and you only got 5 grams of net carbs. That's tough to beat. 
It really is. And whether you're trying to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in what tastes like a candy bar, I mean, Built Bar is the best option. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. And on top of that, you'll get a free cooler while supplies last. So that's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. So in summary here, you know, I normally feel like I'm diving into some crazy numbers or talking about players or talking about so many different things, but this Mike Hill situation I thought was something I didn't even think about. But then when it happened, it was like, oh, yeah, I guess that was a possibility. And it just never even crossed my mind. I think that's kind of telling in itself, right? Like Theo Epstein, so integral in every decision that the Cubs make, even though the Cubs are not making the best decisions right now. But you look at Billy Bean, he's gone from from Oakland, but so integral in so many of the decisions that they make. With the Braves, Alex Anthopoulos, I hope I said that right. Greek names are so hard sometimes. Alex Anthopoulos, he is so integral. When when they make a move, it's always, oh, Alex said this, or like, oh, that Alex needs to do that, or oh, I expected Alex to do that. It wasn't like that with the Marlins. When the Marlins made a trade, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, Mike Hill. Yeah, great move by Mike Hill. Or I think Mike Hill is going to do this. It was like, I think Jeter and Dembo are going to do this. And I think that's kind of telling in itself. We never thought about it like, oh, nice move by Mike Hill. At least I didn't. And I never really saw people thinking about it like that. And that's kind of telling. Not that we have access behind the scenes, but you kind of just get the idea from the way they talk, from the way everybody is talking about things. And especially when you did get those rare interviews with Denbo, where he almost just made it seem like that he was making all of the decisions, or at least was playing one of the biggest parts in making those decisions. Because you could hear his thought process being explained when he talked about why he drafted this guy or what he liked about this guy or whatever it was. And not that Hill didn't do that. It was just different when Dembo did it. It just, it resonated more with me. And it seemed like he was more involved. And that could just be a little bit of uh, confirmation bias. But that's just how it always seemed to me. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Mike Hill, especially in this year. You know Mike Hill played a huge part in piecing together this roster on a crazy scramble. I know that he had to play a huge part in that. And I admire the fact that he was able to keep this team rolling and some of the additions that they made in a pinch. I mean, James Hoyt going to trade for Richard Blyer, going to get some of these other guys that were able to help them in a really tough situation. It's been very impressive. And he had a great year this year. I'm glad that he was able to experience some postseason ball. And I think that's a really good, I guess, resume builder for him. Because most of the time when you get let go or your contract's up, it's off of a bad year. And then you're struggling to find somewhere else to go. I think after what the Marlins did this year, whether he played a huge part in it or a smaller part in it, that's still going to be something that helps him. And I expect him to land somewhere else uh, relatively soon. I'm sure that he will get a job. I don't know exactly where it'll be or what it'll be, but I'm sure that he will get some opportunities moving forward. So wish Mike Hill the best. I don't think much will change for the Marlins, but it'll be interesting to see where they go in the direction of who they're going to hire and how they're going to assess that. Plenty of off-season talk coming up. I know this should have been a mailbag Monday, so you know what? I'm going to make tomorrow a delayed mailbag Monday so that we can answer some off-season questions and some other questions that maybe had to extend upon some of this Mike Hill stuff. But I felt like I had to talk about Mike Hill today before doing the mailbag, and I can 
do the mailbag tomorrow. So we'll just pretend tomorrow is Mailbag Monday, or we can do email and Twitter Tuesday like Rich and Tommy used to do, and we'll just treat it like that. But moving forward, I'll try to do the mailbags more frequently on Monday. Thank you for listening as always, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you and answering your questions tomorrow.